0: I'll be in First Samuel chapter seventeen. Just want to recap the book of First Samuel quickly. If you remember, First Samuel starts out with two personalities: Samuel and Eli. Almost immediately Samuel is introduced as a child, serving in a linen ephod with Eli and his sons. Eli, of course, is disgraced by the behavior of his children. He refuses to correct them. God removes Eli and replaces him with Samuel. Then when there's a transition in the book of 1 Samuel to the relationship between Samuel and Saul. Saul, the king who is uh, chosen by God to serve. is the first king of Israel. Saul, of course, is failing. He's failing to put God first. God has established the monarchy to act as his representative, but Saul, in many ways, was acting like God. So now we see the narrative shifting from Saul and Samuel to Saul and David. And eventually we'll see the narrative shift from Saul and David to David and God. So, where Saul is increasingly failing to meet a godly standard, we're seeing David increasingly rise to meet God's standards for kingship. He's described as a man after God's own heart, not meaning he's perfect, but he loves what God loves and he hates what God hates. As we discussed last time, we talked about 1 Samuel 17. This chapter isn't primarily about us, it's not about us slaying our own proverbial giants. This is all about God and his covenant faithfulness to his people to preserve the seed of the woman against the seed of the serpent, to save his people from the attacks of the world and the devil. So as you hear this holy text, focus your hearts on God's faithfulness to his people, God's faithfulness to you. And we'll also look at David and his confidence in God. I'm not going to read the entire chapter as we read the entire chapter last time, but I'm going to read a large portion of it beginning in verse 26. Please remain seated. I'll have you stand at the very end, but please remain seated right now as we hear God's holy inspired and inerrant word. Remember, too, that God's word, this Old Testament, was preserved through all the generations by the Holy Spirit for you, maybe even for you to hear this night. beginning in verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab his eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men, And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, "'Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine.' And Saul said to David, "'You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth.' But David said to Saul, "'Your servant used to keep sheep for his father.' And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. The Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Would you please stand for the last two verses that I'm going to read of God's holy word? Then David said to the Philistine, that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know, that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we tremble before your word. We pray in Jesus' name that you strike a straight blow with this crooked stick and that our hearts would be changed, that your Holy Spirit, who is present among us, would do his work. For without you, we know that we will understand nothing and be unmoved. So open our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said before, this chapter shows God's great faithfulness to preserve his godly line. The struggle between Satan and his seed is seen all through the scripture. Between Satan and his seed and God and his seed. This is the plot of human history played out really as a snapshot in this chapter. God has promised to send a redeemer from the line of promise. That is God's people to destroy the serpent, to bruise or crush the serpent's head. David, of course, is a type of Christ. David is even an ancestor of Christ, of the seed of the woman, capital S, that points to the death of sin on the cross, the death of death on the cross. In a word, it points to the defeat of Satan. So with that as context this evening, we're going to look at this chapter through the lens of God's honor. We'll look at it through three different relationships that are described in this chapter. God and David, which will start and will end with with that particular application. But humanly speaking, between David and Saul, between David and Eliab, and David and Goliath. One of the things that's highlighted by Samuel in this narrative is the honor of God. The honor of God. The king, as God's representative, should have been jealous for God's honor. We all should be jealous for the honor of God. In so many ways, the honor of God is just disparaged right before our eyes every day. On television, on the radio, in music, in books, and everywhere. God's name is blasphemed. The work of God that He does on the earth is dishonored and called into reproach. Indeed, the whole culture seems to defy the living God. This theme is seen in chapter 17. Over and over again, the word defy or reproach is used. It's the same Hebrew word. It's used six times in the text. Look at verse 10. The Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Verse 25. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. This means to It's more than just stand up against. It's to bring reproach upon. Verse 26, David says, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? The same root is the word reproach. And he continues in verse 26, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He was blaspheming the name of the living God. He says to Saul in verse 36, I've struck down lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Why? For he has defied the armies of the living God. And then David says to the Philistine in verse 45, You come at me with sword and spear and javelin. I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You see, one of the things that happened when David showed up, it says in verse 23, that the Philistine did what he had always been doing for 40 days and 40 nights. But in verse 23, something changed. David heard him. David heard him. This is one of the ways that David is so favorably contrasted with Saul. David cares about the holy name of God. We all should care about the holy name of God. Not in the sense that God needs us to fight his battles or something like this. But this is our God. This is the God who has saved us. Jesus, our Lord. The Christ, the Messiah, His name is used as a curse through most of our society. This is why He instructed us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Holy be Thy name. Have you thought about that phrase? What is He saying? We are praying that God's name would be seen as holy and glorified. Our Shorter Catechism tells us that when we pray this, we are praying that God would enable us and others to glorify Him in all whereby He makes Himself known, and that He would dispose all things to His own glory. We should all be praying, Holy be Thy name, every day, all the time. It's nothing I desire more than God to be glorified on this earth. God, to be glorified in my own heart as holy. God, to be glorified in our church as holy. God, to be glorified in our land as holy and honored. But far too often, God is not honored and His glory is rejected. But God is faithful. He will accomplish His purposes. So with this as a backdrop, let's look at the honor of God through this narrative. First, as we look at David and Saul, consider the relationship between David and Saul. On the first blush, Saul is everything. He's portrayed as everything when he's first brought into kingship that David is not. You remember Saul is a head taller than everyone else. Saul is kind of the Israeli giant. He's rich, he's physically attractive, he's strong. Of course, we're told later that David is handsome, but youthfully handsome. Saul is, is full manhood. Saul wants to please the people. Saul wants to make sure everyone is good with him as king. And Saul, interestingly, doesn't want to fight Goliath. It seems like that's what he should be doing. He's the king. He's the biggest Israeli there. So contrast David. David has been working for Saul, if you will. There's been a gap in his service or something because Saul doesn't seem to remember him. But David was commissioned by Saul to play, to play his instruments whenever evil spirit sent from the Lord were to Saul, Um, he would play his instrument and comfort him. So David, this young man, this shepherd, is not a king. He's not portrayed as attractive and strong as a man of war, but his heart is shown to be strong. His heart is shown to be attractive. He doesn't want to please the people. David wants to please the Lord. We see over and over again through the narrative of Saul and David. Saul pursuing David to kill him later on in the chapters of 1 Samuel. God giving Saul into David's hand and David saying, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. He would not take matters into his own hands because he wanted to please the Lord. And by contrast, David is eager to fight Goliath. Unlike Saul, he's eager to defend the honor of his God. Remember, Goliath has been screaming threats for 40 days. And in verse 23, David heard Goliath. It's a special thing that happens in the very next verse, because up until this point, you know, Samuel really seems to be about David. David it's the rise of David to kingship. And it goes back all the way to Eli to kind of set context for David's rise. But up until this verse, David has not spoken a word in the word of God. He's spoken, of course, but nothing is recorded. He hasn't said a thing. But in verse 26, the very first words of David are recorded. And it's like a thunderclap. On the battlefield. David said to the men. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine. And takes away the reproach. From Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine. That he should defy the armies. Of the living God. Dr. D.F. Payne notes that in David's first words. He also interjects the first theological statements into this whole narrative. This isn't just a fight. This is an assault against our God, the living God. And because these are the first words that David has spoken in Samuel, they carry great weight. You see the great giant, and then you hear David's great words. Note that he calls the Philistine uncircumcised. What's he saying? He's not God's man. He's God's enemy. He's not part of the covenant community. And he's defying the Israelites. This is true. But more than that, he's defying the living God. The armies of the living God. So the words of David are are just jumping off the page. His first words show that his whole life is seen through a lens of God. As our lives should be as well. Through a God lens. This is not about David. This is not about Goliath. For David, this is all about God. We should all be a people who live for God with God at the very center of our lives. How many people in this country go to church every week and God is just an extra thing in their life? He's not the center. if even 10% of people in church actually served God with this kind of heart commitment, what a change would happen. If 10% would sell everything to purchase the pearl of great price, what a change would come in our country. And yet we're, we're easy to just leave God on the periphery and pull Him in like some, some counselor to help us whenever we have a problem in life. That's not how David lived. God was the very center of David's being. He woke up praising God. He went to bed praising God. You can read this in the Psalms. He loved the Lord with all of his heart. So he was sensitive to the honor of God. And all the ways that God made himself known. But there is a note of caution. If you really are going to live for God like this. Get ready. Even your own brothers will despise you. Your own family will hate you. Jesus said this, and we see this in this narrative. Look in verse 28. Let's look at the relationship quickly between David and Eliab before we get back to Saul. Eliab is the oldest brother, and his anger was kindled against David. Why have you come down and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? What a rude thing to say. Can you imagine? I mean, it sounds like a big brother. sounds like something I might have said to my little brother sometime. In pride and arrogance. He says, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. You've come down to watch the battle. Eliab doesn't like David. You remember Eliab was there. Samuel showed up with the anointing oil. He was going to anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be the next king. And Eliab's the first one. And Samuel, his looks were, were pretty encouraging. Samuel was like, I'm about to do this. And God said, slow down. He's not the one. And then the second, and then the third, and then the fourth. And they're looking for any sons of Jesse that are left. So Eliab saw David anointed. He knew that God had anointed David to be the next king, and it did not matter. He despised David. He insulted his motives. He questions his calling. David is evil. He only wants to see the battle. And David's response is to ignore his brother and continue on his mission. To continue talking about their common enemy. This is a warning for all of us, really, if you're going to serve God. Don't be surprised if people, even in your family, in your church, if you get attacked. Eliab is like Goliath, only Eliab is in the covenant community, he's in the church. I think the application for us is it's often best to ignore the noise if it's not harmful, just to leave it alone like David did and to keep your eye fixed on the prize. It doesn't even seem like David took offense. He just said, what have I done? Was it just a word? And then he went on doing what he was doing. This seems very wise to me. You need to keep your eyes on the target. Especially when you know that you and this other person, if he is part of the covenant community, you have a common enemy. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's not about you and that person at that moment. Satan is coming in, he's sowing a seed of division. And you shouldn't take the bait. David did not take the bait, he kept moving forward. Think of what had happened if David had listened to his brother. Oh, you're right, Eliab. I'm sorry. And he goes home. He's shamed into leaving. Ridiculous. But of course, that's not what happened. So David eventually finds himself again with Saul. Now he's talking to Saul. Verse 33, Saul tells him, so first Eliab has told him he can't do this thing. Now Saul tells him he can't do this thing. You're not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him. Verse 33, you're just a youth and he's been a man of war his whole life from his youth. So Saul is also trying to dissuade David and David's trust in God. He's too young. He's not capable. He's not experienced. He can never do this. Satan's lies to you are the same. You can't do this. Look at this task. You're not ready for this. It's too hard. You're going to fail. Don't even try. Turn around. Go home. It's a wonderful place to go when you're tested in life, to the place David goes. David goes straight to the faithfulness of God. He remembers all that God has done. The bear, the lion. He's just recounting God's faithfulness. And David wants to be faithful as well. There's a preacher named John Stott. He was a wonderful pastor. He was on his deathbed. One thing that... We, struck everyone about him as that he was single-mindedly focused on being faithful to God. And on his deathbed, Os Guinness was there next to him and said, Is there anything I can do for you, John? Is there anything I can do as you're, as you're laying here? And he said, Pray that I can be faithful to my last breath. I feel like David had that same kind of passion. About serving his God faithfully. But it wasn't because he was a man of extreme courage. He knew his God. That was the difference. David talks about God's protection, lions and bears. He didn't say this to say, I'm a wonderful warrior. Now let me go fight Goliath. He was showing Saul that God was faithful. He says in verse 36, this uncircumcised Philistine, in other words, God's enemy against the flock of Israel, will be no different than the enemy of lion and bear against my flock at home. Why? Because he's defied the armies of the living God. I think it's important to note that David doesn't say he's capable of fighting Goliath. He's not saying, I'm a wonderful warrior. He doesn't argue for his training or experience or his great courage, his argument is that God, for God, there is no difference between a Philistine giant and a bear. God who is faithful to be with him, when he rescued the lamb from the lion, will be faithful to rescue him from the giant. He says as much in verse 37, the Lord who delivered me, Yahweh who delivered me from the paw of the lion, And from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. What was the key for David's life in this moment? I don't think David was acting any differently than he ever acted. He loved God. God was the center of his existence. God was all that he lived for. We serve a God who saves, a God who is faithful. And this gives us the confidence walk through life with confidence and courage. The question really isn't what made David so special. The question really in my mind is why wasn't everyone else in the nation of Israel stepping forward to fight this giant? They all knew the covenant promises of God. They had been trained in the word of God. And yet no one seemed to know God. And then Saul gave him his equipment and told him to put on his armor and David said, I'm not going to wear this. David went out against Goliath as David to fight the giant. His trust for God was so so emphatic that he did not hesitate. So finally, let's look at David and the man Goliath. We've looked at internal threats to God's calling on David's life from his brother, his closest family member. Now the king, the greatest man in the land, tried to dissuade him and now Goliath, the the enemy of God's people. David, the ancestor of Jesus Christ, the king of kings, now is facing the champion of the Philistines, and really the champion of the devil. Would God's plan of redemption succeed? Or would David be killed and all of it brought into confusion? We know the end of the story. I'm also encouraged. You know, the world and the rulers of this world seem so pompous and just loud. They sound like Goliath cursing, belittling followers of God. You feel this every day. How stupid can you be to serve God? Jesus died and rose again. The virgin birth. Everything God's word tells us is true. They despise it. They reject it. And not only that, they trash it. Much as Goliath did, cursing us by their gods. And who does Goliath see approaching him? A young man with a staff in his hand and a sling with some rocks. Goliath, nine and a half feet tall, looking at this, to him, must look like a little boy approaching him with a stick in his hand. And Goliath talks trash. But I love the fact that David also talks the trash. Right back. This isn't just a brother. This isn't someone in church. This is the enemy of God. The faithful God gave David great faith in God. And it comes through in these words. Actually, the whole chapter can be summarized in these words. Again, David is speaking again theologically, where no one else does. He's talking about God. Verse 45, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Now I'll give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts in the earth. That all the earth may know there is a God in heaven. or There is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Our hand. Those who trust in God have great confidence in this life. We can actually live life confidently, without fear. Did David prophetically know that he was going to kill the giant? We don't know, but he knew his God, which is why he could speak in such a manner. And he's doing more than just responding in kind. He's responding for Israel. This is what all of Israel should have been saying. He's responding for the whole assembly. That word in verse 47, this assembly, is translated in the Septuagint, Ecclesia. This is church. The whole people of God, the church of God. And he's also responding for the whole earth in rebellion against God. The whole earth will know. What will they know? Verse 46 There is a God in Israel. When people look at us in our church, there's one thing they should walk away from, and that is that they know that there is a God. Why do they know that? Well, it's the same way your children know that there is a God, because they see that you actually believe it. You live it. He shows that God saves. And he knows that God saves, not through the greatness of his warriors or the greatness of his people, but through the weakness of sometimes the smallest and most inadequate people. Eliab was the oldest. He should have fought. Saul was the tallest. He should have fought. But they didn't. They didn't know their God. David knew God. And God delights to glorify Himself by using weak and broken vessels like this to carry His divine water. You remember Christ. Christ came to the earth as a poor child. He didn't come as a rich, wealthy, well to do person. He came as someone who was despised and rejected by men. And this was God's good pleasure. And He chose David, this young, weak shepherd to highlight the strength of the glory of the God who saves, the living God of Israel. So we get to the combat itself, and the combat isn't really surprising. There's all this leading up to it, then the combat takes something like six verses. David runs at Goliath. He slings a stone. This stone, by the way, the sling is this long leather strap. One end of it was tied to the wrist usually. The other end was held in the hand, and it had a pocket about as big as my hand where you would put the stone. And then you would swing this thing. And when you let go with your hand at just the right moment, it would open up the pocket and the stone would fly out. About 100 miles an hour or more, if you were good, you could sling a stone. David was good. This stone either penetrated the helmet, which has happened. It's recorded in extra biblical um, sources that these slings and stones could actually penetrate armor. So either that happened or went right through the eye hole, ouch. Or what I think probably happened is the giant just had his his visor all the way up because it's just a kid, and he wants to see to kill this guy. Either way, verse 50 says, David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. So that's like the summary statement of the death blow. With a sling and a stone, he struck the guy, and he fell down flat. And then verse 51 tells us actually how he finished the task. He struck the death blow with a sling and a stone, but then he actually went over and took his sword and killed him and cut off his head with his own sword. And of course, you know the rest of the story. Ralph Davis says, The focus of the chapter is not on David's courage, but on Yahweh's adequacy. In David's weakness. But the fact remains that when Yahweh's honor was at stake, David stood up. He was willing to suffer embarrassment and death for the honor of Yahweh. He wasn't a soldier. He was a shepherd. This encourages us as well. So I'm going to give you three quick points of application and we'll be finished. This is actually from the book Knowing God by Jack Packer. Those who know God have great energy for God. David knew God. Daniel 11.32 says that those who know their God will stand firm and take action. We cannot sit still when God is blasphemed. When his name is run through the mud, this will not be something that is okay for a person who loves God. I'm not saying pick a fight with everyone who uses God's name in vain, but this should bother you. This is not okay. And all the other ways that his name is blasphemed, his work is blasphemed, the church is blasphemed, the work of God on earth, the creation of the world, so many different ways that the culture wants to take a bite out of God's glory and his holiness for themselves. What did it look like in Daniel's life? He resolved he would not defile himself and eat the king's food. He was very persuasive. He wasn't standing up and throwing rocks at anybody. He just said, could I please not eat this food? And he found a way. God gave him a way to preserve the glory of God. And yet something changed in Daniel chapter 6. You remember the king made an edict that no one could pray to anyone else except him. Well, there was nothing else for Daniel to do but to go open the window, to get on his knees, and pray out the window so that everyone saw. Sometimes God calls us to be wise, as serpents and sometimes innocent as doves. And he'll give us wisdom when that time comes. But we're going to take action. We're not a people that's going to sit still. Point two, those who know God have great thoughts of God and low thoughts of ourselves. Again, David wasn't boasting in himself. He was boasting in God. And that gave him courage. And point three, those who know God have great boldness for God. We don't fear man at all. Like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, don't fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. When you look all through the scriptures and you see the people who stand up and are counted for God. Yes, there are a few of them who are. Noah, David, Elijah, Stephen before the Pharisees, Paul in Athens. And of course, they all point to Christ in a way. They're like Jesus. The most courageous of all. The most godly of all. The most jealous of his father's name of all. That's why I love David so much. Because he points me to Jesus. He's acting a little bit like Jesus. David rose up to defend the honor of Yahweh. God made David's efforts effective. and God was faithful to David. We can have faith in God like David. We can seek after God. But the key is that we have to know God. So seek hard after God. Let us pray. Oh God, we are overwhelmed when we consider the goodness, the wonder, the majesty of your glory. We pray that we would be jealous for your glory, for your holy name. That your name would be holy in all the earth. That our hearts would be pricked when we hear others disparaging. When we see the culture disparaging you and your glory, your holiness. Lord, give us eyes to see your great faithfulness to your children. Let us know you as David did. Let us know you and have faith in you and rely on you and take action. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.